Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Overpowering Emotions. I'm so excited. Season two, we're getting back into school. This is my back to school series where I'm focusing on common anxiety provoking situations that kiddos experience in school. Even though I take a trans diagnostic approach, you know, and really focus on the process of addressing anxiety and responding to anxiety, nonetheless, I want to be able to show how we can apply that process to some of the specific things. I don't like focusing too much on specific things. It's the same process all the time. But let's dig into this a little bit more because I think that there's a lot of yeah, buts, right? And especially when we're working with parents, uh, my kiddo, this is their specific area that, that they have challenges with. But we do find as we dig in, it's not just about separation anxiety. You know, it's we see that anxiety usually manifesting in lots of different places. Um, but this week, I really am focusing on that separation anxiety. So just to make sure we're all in the same place, um, on the same page. When we're looking at that separation anxiety, it's just that it's being worried about being away from a family member or a parent, someone important to us. And there's so many worries that could be wrapped up with that. It could be getting lost. There could be a car accident, something bad happening to the family, something bad happening to themselves, anything that could happen that would maybe make a separation permanent, for example, right? And I see this, it's not just going to school, but it could be kiddos who can't do sleepovers or go to a play date on their own or a birthday party on their own, but even kiddos who can't be on a different floor of the house than their parent, right? They have to always make sure that the parent is somewhere on the same floor, maybe even the same room with them, or kiddos who can't sleep on their own at night, for example, and they're really clingy with parents, even if they're just at home, right? So we see lots of these different things. It could even be nightmares, something bad happening to themselves or to the family in their nightmares. It could be really subtle things like I've got a lot of kiddos and especially teenagers, if they have their own phone, texting their parents throughout the day, just checking in, seeing how you're how you are, where are you, who are you with, just checking in on their parents. So often that anxiety, it's not even related specifically to something like school, especially when we're looking at separation, right? It's showing up in all these different places like sleepovers, for example. So we don't want to get bogged down just in the school piece or or wherever else that anxiety shows up. I do need to say, though, if there is something persistent that's happening, like a child isn't feeling safe or there are big bullying issues or I know for my one daughter had experiences with a really not so great adults in her life. I'm not going to give context just in case for people who know me, I won't give too much context to single this person out, but wasn't feeling safe with this other adult. And it was getting to the point that other adults, other parents were starting to say, hey, do you see what's going on? Do you realize what's happening with your daughter? So clearly, those are things that we need to step in and address. We're not just going to tell our kids to suck it up, right? So we do need to look at if there are specific situations that are happening, and your kiddo's in a problematic situation, obviously that anxiety is sort of secondary that we need to address. But when we're looking at the broad piece of anxiety and it's just this sort of underlying arousal that our kiddos have, this ongoing anxiety, that's where we need to address. And it's the process. doesn't matter if we're talking about snakes or school or separation, whatever it is. We're going to be focusing on the process and how we respond in helpful ways when that anxiety shows up, no matter what that anxiety looks like. So as always, 
I'm always saying worries are to be expected. It's not if they show up, it's when they show up, right? And especially worries that are necessary for survival. So separating from adults when we're little, that's necessary for survival. If we're babies and don't have someone to look after us, we're going to not last very long, right? So people in our lives, as we're, especially when we're little, they protect us. Back in caveman days, they protected us from getting eaten, right? They still protect us from being harmed. They're making sure that we're being fed and taken out of the sun and being nurtured, right? We have important adults in our life who are making sure that harm is not coming onto us, especially when we can't fend for ourselves. We don't know if this new other person is going to protect us the same way right? So we start seeing babies start to develop a little bit of the separation anxiety around the four to seven mark. When they're itty bitty, like they don't even know if you disappear, they don't know that you still exist. As long as they're being changed and fed, they don't care who it is that's holding them. But once they start developing a little bit more awareness and a little bit more of that sort of object permanence where they realize mama's still around somewhere, even though if I can't see her, she still exists. But if I can't see her, that means she's gone away. That means she's not here with me. And I don't know where she is. I don't know when she's going to come back. And of course, that's going to create some anxiety. But then they see mom again, and then they're okay, right? But that uncertainty, it builds as they're getting older. And by the time they're one, sometimes 18 months, usually around one though, for sure, we definitely start seeing kiddos getting upset even when mama wants to try to leave. And that makes sense because we don't know who's going to protect me, right? If, 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 if kiddos, well, kiddos don't, they don't have any sense of time, no concept of time at all. So it's really hard for them to think about she's going to come back, right? They're just in this moment knowing she is leaving me. And so we see this sort of escalation of separation, usually around three. So we see these developmentally appropriate fears to ensure safety. That makes sense. That our little young guys, our toddlers, our preschoolers, even early elementary kiddos, that separation is pretty normal. It's a problem when it turns into an anxiety disorder though. So we don't want to make it worse, right? We want to get on top of it. Even if our kiddos are still toddlers, we we don't want to turn it into a problem later. And, and assume that they're going to outgrow it, right? So we got to avoid the traps that are going to make that normal separation anxiety become a full-blown anxiety disorder. And then that starts to lead to things like school refusal. And yes, I've got high school teenagers who still experience separation anxiety, who've never had a successful sleepover, who have a hard time you know, going away. They can't go to a friend's cabin, right? So we can't just assume it's going to go away. So what are some of the traps? Well, hopefully you've been following me. I have whole episodes on all of the traps that we fall into, parents fall into, educators, even mental health professionals fall into. The very first thing we need to look at, though, is environment. Because anxiety, it's mostly maintained by the environment. And that includes the people in the kiddo's life, right? Because separation anxiety, it tends to get prolonged depending on how the adults in the child's life is responding to it. So I have to say to parents... Before I look at your kiddo's separation anxiety, let's look at yours. How are you managing the separation? And, and, and I see it a lot, especially when we're leaving our kiddos the first time, maybe for preschool or daycare or things like that, <laughs> right? A lot of teary-eyed parents, that's not going to help the kids because there's 
a lot of social referencing. They're checking back in. Is this person safe? Is this place safe? They're taking all their cues from us. And so we give a lot of information, right? So if you're teary-eyed and you're worried and you're modeling these anxious behaviors about separation, that's going to be a huge, huge problem. And and we got to address that before we do anything with kiddos. So watching out for the parents' clinginess and even little comments. Oh, I'm worried about what supervision looks like at lunchtime. Or, oh, I wonder if Johnny's going to be at school today. Or, you know, I'm worried about that teacher. Our behaviors and our actions are very influential on kiddos and our words as well. Even just the little hand gestures, you know, we're putting on a strained face. Have a good day. But we're just doing these little things that can all contribute to some of that anxiety. Right. And so we really need to be able to consider how am I presenting myself when I'm separating? That's going to be really important. I also have parents pay attention to their yeah buts. What are your reasons? Right. What makes it so hard for you? Well, I can't let her cry as I leave because I worry about our attachment. Well, chances are pretty good that A, if you're listening, taking the time to listen to this, (laughs) or if you're a professional too, these are things that you could be talking to parents about, you know. Um, so, so, so you're probably doing everything right and your kiddo doesn't want to leave from you. So there's a very good chance that they do have a secure attachment from you, right? They have a strong attachment and it's really important to have a healthy attachment that they go off and be their own person and to build that independence, right? Maybe parents feel guilty about leaving their kids. So maybe we have to work through some of that guilt. Another big one that I find parents a big yeah, but that keep parents trapped in anxiety or medical concerns. So maybe kiddo has diabetes. Maybe kiddo has allergies. There's a whole butt of yeah buts in there, right? A whole bunch of them around, but I got to make sure. And so this is a real thing that we need to make sure that we're on top of. But if we're creating a lot of anxiety around it and creating those yeah buts, we're just always going to get pulled into them. So I'm always telling parents, right? I'm always looking at parents first. If they're having a time letting their kid go, what do we need to do to make it easier? Maybe we're getting someone else in there who can be supportive, who can be confident to be that role model that's needed. But there's lots of other traps that I always talk about. You know, one more hug, one more kiss. Okay, kiddo, just one more, right? But we start to prolong that goodbye. That's a huge trap. Because one more hug turns into five more hugs, and now it turns into a whole hour-long routine where kiddo's not lining up at the door with their friends anymore. They're going into the principal's office, and now they get to wait there, and they hang out with the secretary, and they wait for all the kids to go into class, and now I get to go by myself and hang up my stuff and have my own routine, and now they've missed an hour or two or more of the school time, right? Just one more hug. If we give an inch, like it really, it it becomes a huge process, a huge problem. Uh, waiting with them in line until they go into class. Anything that we do to make them feel better, we're giving anxiety comfort. So in the short term, we might feel like we're giving them comfort, but we're actually fueling that anxiety. We're giving anxiety exactly what it wants. We're making it stronger. And we're sending the message, you can't handle it. You can't handle it on your own. I will be there. Yes, I will stand in line because you can't do it. And that's the story that anxiety is already telling them anyway. So we're reinforcing that anxiety even more. And a lot of these things, they become safety behaviors, meaning I can't do this thing, like line up and go into class with the rest of my classmates or go into the classroom or go into the school on my own. I always need you there. You are my protector. 
And some even turn into OCD kind of behaviors or superstitious even kind of behaviors because, no, no, mommy, we always do three kisses. Our three kisses is what keeps me safe. Our three kisses is what ensures that I'm going to have a good day at school. But we only did one today. So something for sure is bad is going to happen, right? It's like the red sock. I need to have my red sock to be able to win the game, right? And so that can become a problem. Um, Any reassuring that we do. That's going to be a huge problem as well, you know, especially if we say things, it's going to be perfectly okay. You're going to have a fantastic day. Your teacher is going to be so nice. I know you're going to make lots of friends. You're going to have so much fun today. But what if it doesn't? What if the teacher is mean? What if there's a mean kid in the class? What if they fall on their face and they break a tooth? What if their friend wants to hang out with somebody else they don't want to play today? We can't guarantee anything right? And anxiety wants that comfort. It wants that certainty. So we're just making it stronger. And that reassurance, I've talked about it before, becomes an OCD behavior where children are always asking for our reassurance. And I see it even in my teenagers where they're getting reassurance from their parents. How does my hair look? How does my outfit look? How does my homework look? I can't go until I get your guarantee that I look okay, my homework's okay, that everything's going to be perfect. That's a problem. They're never learning the skills to cope on their own. They're always going to rely on you. So we start creating that dependency trap. Uh, Creating a pickup plan, right? Why don't you just go for a little bit? Just go till recess or just go till till lunch. And if if things aren't getting better or you're having a hard day, I'll come and pick you up. I'm going to tell you something. Kids are always going to take the exit. I remember going to a really scary haunted house. It was a couple of years ago with my girls before COVID and, uh, they, they, there was a way that they, we y'all go into one room and then there was an option. You can either take the easy route that's not so scary or the scary normal route, right? And both of my kids right away, as soon as they heard that, they pre-decided that they were going to take the easy route right away without even giving it a chance. That's why you, you go into the main room first to learn a little bit about it and all the rules and all of that. And then you can decide, but they already made that choice right? They didn't even give it a chance. And so kids are, especially anxious kids are always going to take the easy way out. And so now they're not focusing on the good things that are happening. They're going to focus on how do I make it to recess? So then I'm going to immediately call, right? Even if they're having a grand, fantastic time. Oh yeah. I already set my mind, right? My older daughter, I did, um, coax her into staying with me because my younger daughter tapped out with my husband. She already said it in her head that she was going to leave, even though I'm like, look at how fun this is going to be. Um, but there were still exit doors along the way. And every one, mom, I got to go. I got to leave this exit. I'm like, that's totally fine by you. I have no idea where that door leads to. And daddy already left with your sister. So it's totally up to you, kiddo. You can go out there on your own, right? I'm building a little bit of autonomy that way. It's your, it's your, it's your, choice to do whatever. So she did end up staying with me um, to stay through the whole haunted house, but they will always take the easy way out. And then that was a whole lot of uncertainty. And I was truly fine with her going outside that exit door because I knew that that was going to be another resilience building opportunity because we had no idea where that exit took took her to and where her dad would be. Now she'd be wandering around by herself. So either way, (laughs) I knew she'd be working on some of her resilience. But like I said, otherwise, they're just going to white knuckle it until they know the time is up and I'm going to get to escape. And they're always focusing on the escape and the avoidance and they're never learning skills. They need to learn to sit in uncertainty. 
right? I don't know how much longer this haunted house is. I don't know what's going to pop out at us, right? She kept asking, is there going to be a chainsaw? There was a guy carrying a chainsaw chasing us out. She's like, we're just running, mom. We're not walking anymore. We're just running. I'm like, that's fine. But she kept asking, is there going to be a werewolf? Is someone going to jump out of us? I'm like, I don't know, dude. Like, I have no idea. I've never been through this before. And even if I had been through it before, I wouldn't have reassured her. No, don't worry. Nobody's going to touch you. Because what if somebody bumps? Actually, the one guy with the chainsaw, he did actually knock something and something had bumped me. So you can never guarantee anything. So I wasn't doing reassuring or anything, right? So we really got to look at how we can be helpful in our responses instead. Those are some of the traps, not helpful. When we're reassuring, when we're anxious ourselves, we're trying to, you know, instill calmness and comfort and giving anything that anxiety wants. So first of all, of course, we need to remain calm. That's always the first thing whenever we're addressing anxiety, because it's going to go sideways if we're not calm. It's just going to all fall apart. Then we want to make sure we're normalizing things. First day of school, yeah, of course you're worried about who your teacher's going to be. That makes sense that you're worried about not getting your locker or opening it or getting lost. And I know a lot of kiddos have already started. I know my kids started school last week, but but still, you know, if you're stuck in this separation anxiety, well, that, that makes sense. You've been nervous this whole week already. So of course, it's not just going to automatically go away. So being able to normalize it. Yeah, that makes sense. It's a new school year. Even if it's the same school with the same kids, and even if it's the same teacher they had last year, it's another school year. You've never been in grade four before or grade eight before. My older daughter, she actually just started a new bigger high school. So she was in grade 10 last year. Already went through that first transition, So, but started a new school this week. Um or last week, I guess it's been the first full week at school. And the first day she got lost right away, right away. Even though her friends had said, this is where you go. And so she texts her friend, oh my gosh, I'm lost. And they teased her because they're like, how did you get lost already? Literally, you just go to the gym. It was right there, right when you walked into the front doors, right? Um, Last year, she had to get escorted by the principal to her classes that first week because she kept getting lost. It happens. Of course, you're worried about getting lost. It happens. So that first bit is obviously going to be a little bit nerve wracking. So we want to normalize that. We want to also make sure that the goodbyes are short and sweet. We want to set it up beforehand, right? Create a goodbye ritual. And even if you're into school already and you're maybe some of you are not listening to this for a little while, start now. Create a goodbye ritual, Because the brain quickly pairs itself to know what to expect. So after that last hug or that last fist pump or secret handshake, maybe that's part of your ritual, mom's leaving or dad's leaving. I'm on my own. Be very explicit. You know, I'm going to walk you to the corner of the school. I'm going to give you one hug and I'm going to wave and I'm turning around and I'm leaving. Don't let it blow up. Do that. Go to the corner, give one hug, one wave, whatever you said, and then turn and leave. Even if it does blow up behind you, don't get sucked into it. Keep your course, right? And don't spend so much time. We spend so much time talking about it and focusing on the separation. The more energy we're putting into that and the more time and focus we're giving it, we're making it more anxiety provoking because they're going to learn. See, we keep talking about this. So obviously it's really important. Obviously it's really scary. This is a big deal. The more focus we put on it, the bigger deal it's going to become. 
right? So instead, acknowledge the worry and and focus instead on what they can look forward to, seeing their friends. What are you looking forward to today, right? Feeding the classroom fish. Maybe that's something you can work with the teacher just to help that they're, the child, the kiddo has something to look forward to. You can focus on your hello at the end of the day, your reconnection at the end of the day. I can't wait to see you at the end of the day because we're going to go to the park, right? You can focus on the hellos for later on. Now, there's things like habituation. We know we naturally habituate, meaning we are used to it and things aren't as anxiety provoking. Things aren't as hard once we have some practice, right? We know our kids are going to get used to it and things are going to get easier, right? But we don't want to get in the way of that. So we don't want to get into telling them and lecturing and comforting and discussing this. I see it all the time. Just go. Remember last time, every time you go, like you never want to go to school or you never want to go to gymnastics, but when you're there, you're having a blast, right? We start to get into a discussion and we're trying to convince them. That's not going to be helpful. They need to experience it on their own and afterwards start drawing. So how did you feel about going at first on a scale of one to 10? Oh, I didn't want to go right? It was a 10, no way. (laughs) Well, how'd you feel now? Oh, it was a fantastic day. I'm glad I went. So it's them through their own experiencing. And now we're getting metacognitive where we're asking them about their experiences and they are the ones verbalizing. It was hard to go, but now it was easier. They can start seeing that, but they need to experience it that it's going to be easier. They don't need us to tell them, right? And so we say, I don't know what your day is going to be. Again, we're not getting into the reassurance. I don't know what your day is going to be. Maybe your teacher might yell at some point. I don't know. Maybe your friend might go play with someone else at recess. It's that uncertainty. We cannot give certainty. We need to live in that zone of discomfort and that zone of uncertainty. Life is so uncertain. And so our kids need to learn how to tolerate that uncertainty. Because if you wait, if you are always giving them certainty and then you say goodbye as they go to university and that's the first time they're realizing, you know, that the life is uncertain, they're going to crumble because they've never had these experiences leading up to that, right? So we, we have to live in that uncertainty, but we're still supportive. Yeah, I can see that you're really stressed out. Oh man, I can see you're really worried about your teacher but having the confidence that they're going to figure it out. That's the response we need to give. Instead of reassuring and comforting and lecturing or getting angry, you know, I do see that a lot. Just go to school. You've been doing this for six years. Why is it always still a problem? Look at all the other kids, right? We don't want to do that either. So so we're, we're acknowledging, yeah, of course you feel anxious. We're normalizing it. That makes sense. So we're being supportive, we're being understanding, we're being normalizing on the one hand, but we're confident on the other. I know you can figure it out. I don't know if you're going to get lost. How are you going to handle it? Right? That's how we show it. And we're asking those questions. So when we're confident, they're going to feel confident. And when we're confident, we're still firm. Going to school and staying at school is not an option, for example, right? So yeah, I can see that you're really nervous about going. That makes sense. Of course you are. So what are you going to do when you're there? How are you going to manage this? Because you still have to go. So how are you going to manage it, right? And then of course, maintaining consistency. So whatever plan you have, if it's dropping at the corner, one hug, one wave, I'm turning around, do that. Do that today. Do that tomorrow. Do it the next day. 
Don't get sucked into anxiety. It's really strong and it likes to pull us in. There's that reverse hypnosis, right? And so kids might cry and they might become aggressive or they might say things like, I'm going to die. They pull us in. They're going to pull our heartstrings. Of course they are because they're trying to avoid. They're going to do anything at all, right? Because their brain can't tell the difference between a real danger and you just leaving for them to go to school. And so they're going to do anything that they can. And so if we get sucked in, we're going to make all of that anxiety and all of those behaviors stronger because it worked. They're screaming and grabbing onto you and clinging to your leg. If you turn around and change it, it worked and they're going to do it again. So if that becomes a problem, you see, I've tried, but I can't stay consistent, or I've tried and my anxiety, my own anxiety is still getting in the way. Or if you're working with a family and you're seeing this, look at how we can make that child be successful. So maybe someone's there to help. Maybe a teacher is coming or a supervisor is coming to meet you at that corner or at at the front door or where the kids are supposed to line. And, and they are there to be with the kiddo, right? While you can walk away. And once that becomes a little bit easier, we can we can build on that. But it really brings me to the point that I'm going to talk about in all the episodes about the skills that kids need to learn. So on the one hand, we got to make sure that we are responding as the adults in helpful ways. But we always got to think about what are the skills that kids are learning? So your response is going to be really important to making sure the kiddos are learning skills. You giving them one more hug, that's not a skill that they are building, right? You're not building a skill by doing that. So you can always think about, if I do this thing, what is the skill that they're learning? If I reassure them that their day is going to be fantastic, what is the skill that they're learning? They're not learning anything right? And so that can be helpful. That's something that I coach parents on quite a bit is looking at your response. If your response is building autonomy and building resilience and building skills, fantastic. But if it's not, and it's giving certainty and comfort, the things that anxiety wants, that's going to be a problem. So the skills that they need to build, well, obviously they need to tolerate uncertainty. They need to tolerate that discomfort that comes with that uncertainty, not knowing what's going to happen. I don't know if my best friend's going to be there today and I'm going to be all by myself at gym. I don't know what the outcome's going to be, but I'm going to go and I'm going to figure it out. And then I'll let, I'll check in with mom and let her know how the day went and everything that happened. I often talk about MacGyvering it. So MacGyver, he always found himself in a really problematic situation, right? A bomb is about to go off. It's usually life or death sort of situation, but he used his own inner strengths, his own knowledge and know-how and the resources around him to get out of the situation. So looking at your kiddos' inner strengths, their resources, using past successes. Hey, remember when you went to Billy's for a play date over the summer and you were there for the whole day? What did you do then that was helpful? You were able, that was no problem. So what about that situation and what did you do to be to be successful, right? So we can draw on their own strengths. They need to learn to be autonomous. So they're learning to tolerate the distress and discomfort and everything that comes with it, but they also need to learn autonomy. They need to be independent in an age-appropriate, reasonable way, of course, right? So we look at opportunities, and maybe it it doesn't even have to directly relate to school. There's lots of things that you could be working on. Maybe it's them spending their own time in a room or in the basement on their own, doing something fun on their own, on a different floor than a parent. Maybe it is 
putting themselves to sleep at night without a parent there to fall asleep with them. Maybe it is ordering their own dinner at a restaurant, looking for lots of opportunities for them to build that autonomy and independence. And if we're looking specifically at separation more and more, getting them to do things on their own without you there. Maybe they're going to walk to the corner store and get their own snacks for family movie night, for example. Through when we, whenever we do any separation sort of things, it's through the experience that they're going to realize you always come back or you're going to be coming back or you have good intentions to come back, right? Actually, in the early stages, whenever I work on separation anxiety with kiddos, it doesn't matter. I do it from two years old up to 12 years old, right? And I see different variations of freak out when I say, okay, parent's going to leave the office. But I do lots of practice sessions right away. So I teach them about the brain and the Loki brain. You know, I do all of that. And then I set a timer and I tell the kid, okay, parent's going to leave and we're going to hang out. Maybe it's only 10 seconds, depending on the age and depending on how severe the anxiety is. Maybe it's only 10 seconds, we're going to hang out for 10 seconds. Usually I start at 30 seconds for older kids, maybe two minutes. We're going to set the timer. And when the timer goes off, parents going to come back in. They're going to knock on the door or we, we can go out and they're going to be there, right? So parent usually reluctantly leaves. I have to do a lot of coaching with them and just like get out because they're anxious. And now their kids seeing that they're anxious, right? And that social referencing, if you're anxious, is this woman not safe? So they leave and kiddo, especially my younger ones, they start crying and some start screaming and some try getting out the door. I usually sit on the floor and I do let them know I'm going to sit in front of the door. So before parent leaves, just so I'm setting that all up so parents know and kids know, I'm going to sit in front of the door until that alarm goes off. And when that alarm goes off, I'm going to let mom in, right? Or or we're going to go out and and look for parent or whatever that is, right? And I always have a game of some sort, right? So I've got a game for younger kids. Actually, Actually, for really, it doesn't matter. I have some engaging, fun-looking game, right? And so once parent leaves, I'm like, hey, I'm playing this game. Would love for you to join me. It's totally up to you, though. You can stand there and cry until mommy comes back. Totally cool if that's what you want to do. And then I start playing the game. Most of the time, they join me. Some kids just watch the timer crying. Mommy, mommy. They watch the timer, right? And then they look at me. There's usually a pause of silence and expectation. The timer went off. In comes mom, right? Or or dad or, or, or whoever the adult is. Um, but by, by, by usually the second time, they do start joining me, right? But what they see is the alarm goes off, parent comes back, and then we increase the time. Usually by the second trial, kids are playing with me, right? And they're like, bye, mom, right? Some take a a couple more, but by the end of a session, they're totally okay with their parents leaving because now they've learned mom comes back, right? This person is actually fun. I can do something fun on my own without a parent here. Right. So they've had huge successes where they've defeated that trickster Loki brain. I do all that prep work teaching them about the brain, the tricks it wants to play. Right. And now they've got five, seven, 10 points where they've defeated that Loki trickster. So we can build on some of those successes. Right. So through that process, they learn parents coming back. And even when we increase the expectations to, I don't know when mom's going to come back, we're not going to set the timer today. Right. Like at school, I don't know. At school, it's a little bit easier because they know, okay, well, at 3.30 when the bell rings, that's when parents are going to come back. So they're learning that parents come back. But even more importantly, they learn that they can handle the separation. They can handle that uncertainty and distress, right? And maybe even find something fun to do. 
they need to normalize that distress too. Well, that makes sense that mom has left. And differentiating, this is a huge skill, differentiating the normal protective feeling that, okay, Loki, it's okay. I'm just with Caroline or I'm just at school versus I'm in real danger, right? I just also want to add, whenever kiddos are able to separate, we want to reinforce that. The brain doesn't want them to remember the times that they've been successful. So when we're setting it up, Before, remember I was talking about, let's draw back to your successes when you've been successful. But in the moment, they're going to forget their past successes. So we're always going to remind them, especially proactively, of all of the times that they have been successful. That's so important. So again, I mean, you're going to see the same theme. Doesn't matter if I'm talking about separation anxiety or test anxiety or whatever anxiety, the process is still going to be very similar. There are certain things, you know, with test anxiety, maybe there are additional skills, and I'll be talking about that in future episodes, additional skills that they need to learn. But when we're just talking about the uncertainty, and that's a big piece of the separation anxiety, uncertainty that parents are going to be okay and they're going to come back to me. And so it's being able to tolerate that. So managing the parent piece, having lots of confident adults and supports in place, and then that child learning through their own experience that I've got this, I can handle this. So important. So thank you. Thank you for joining me today. I'm excited to be doing this back to school series. Like I said, I'm going to be talking about all things that I see quite commonly in school that creates a lot of anxiety just to get that school year started off on the right foot. Go have a lovely rest of your day. Help kiddos be bold and courageous. And I will see you next time.